We are jumping into the chapter 11 of John's gospel today. We're smack dab now at the hinge point of John's gospel uh, where we're gonna read the story of Lazarus. Um, But before we do that, you might not know uh, that today is Pentecost Sunday. Anybody heard of that word before, Pentecost Sunday? That's the the Sunday where worldwide uh, churches celebrate uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and the birth of the church. We're told that the Holy Spirit came among these these people who uh, needed to hear different languages and they began speaking in tongues and the languages were heard and thousands of people came to know a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And in that moment, the birth of the church uh, began. And so I wanna, before we even jump in, just give God thanks for his church. Thanks for us being together, whether online or in person this morning. And then we'll jump in. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us. May we just simply start there, God. Thank you for your love for us. Lord, for loving us enough to send Jesus into the world to teach us how to live or to walk us through the gospel and then to live and die for it. God, we praise you. God, we thank you for loving us enough to give us your word that you've told us it's sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. And we, we thank you that it pierces us, that it speaks to us, changes us, shapes us, and molds us. Lord, and by your word, we know your love. And God, we thank you for loving us enough to send the Holy Spirit to be our guide, to lead us, to empower us, to equip us, to encourage us. God, and as we look to that day so many years ago where the birth of your church began, Lord, we thank you that we too are gathered in this place today by the same Holy Spirit who speaks to us and lays on each one of our hearts his word. So God, I just pray as we open up to your scriptures now and we we hear again this story of a man who was dead and brought to life. God, that you would do the same thing in this world, in this church, in this valley, in this nation. God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would move on those hearts that are struggling and lost and wandering and dead, God, and that you would bring them to life again. God, we pray, would you give us eyes to see you more clearly? Would you give us ears to listen for you now and hearts to chase after you now and this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So turn with me, if you will, if you have your Bibles, to John's gospel. We're gonna read chapter 11, and we're reading verses one all the way to verse 44. It's a doozy, but I promise it's worth it. It's worth it. Let's listen to this, this story of Lazarus and Jesus in the grave. Hear now God's word. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we might die with him. Now when Jesus had come, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who's coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would, not, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around that they might believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his fans and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This morning, I wanna hit a, a topic that's somewhat taboo. You know, in life, they say there's three guarantees. What are they? Birth, death, and taxes. 
birth, death, and taxes. Of those three topics, one is really easy to talk about. We do it all the time. Somebody gives birth or we celebrate birthdays. It's common conversation. When it comes to taxes, well, that's also a common theme in conversation. We love to complain about taxes. But the other one, we don't discuss a whole lot, do we? When was the last time you found yourself at a dinner party having a casual conversation about your mortality? Anyone? You know, we don't talk about death unless we have to, right? Someone dies, so we send them a card in the mail. We stop by to pay our respects. Or a loved one might be told they only have so long to live, so we help them get their affairs in order. But outside of that, the topic is somewhat mute. It's ironic, right? Because death is one of the most universal experiences in all of humanity. Prove me wrong. Today alone, 151,000 people will take their last breath. Until Christ returns, the, the fact is that there's not a person in this room who won't experience or taste or feel death firsthand. And yet so much of our lives that we live are lived as though it wouldn't happen. If you were my grandfather on the farm and you wanted chicken for dinner as a young boy, you went outside with your dad, you got the job done, right? You knew what death was. Or when a cold snap came in spring, you knew you might lose a few cattle or a few chicks. Death was a part of life. You learned about it in an early age. But now today, many kids, they, they learn about death through video games and where you don't really die, you just sort of start over. The chicken comes prepackaged, right? I don't know about you, but my kids have no clue how that works. We don't understand death. And so when the topic comes up, we become pros at avoiding the conversation altogether, out of sight, out of mind. And yet, Death doesn't care about your economic status. It doesn't care about your gender. It doesn't care about your ethnicity, your nationality, your age. Death comes for every one of us. It's inevitable. In fact, from the very beginning in Genesis 3.19, God tells us that as the result of the fall, all of us will face this reality. From dust you came to dust you shall return. So we open up to the story of Lazarus, and, and let's be honest for a minute, it's a bit removed from us, right? Hands and feet wrapped in linen cloths around the face, stench of death. Typically, we save these kind of lessons for the, the memorial service, and then we move on as quickly as possible. Because as we just read in the story, death is complicated, death means sorrow and pain, it, it means heartbreak and suffering, and, and yet, I feel like there's something healthy as Christians about us talking about the topic. If, if for nothing less, so that the next time that we're faced with it, we might be a bit more prepared. In this morning's lesson, uh, for the first time in John's gospel, Jesus comes face to face with death. To this point, Christ has encountered all sorts of other issues. He's encountered disabled people. He's brought them healing. He's encountered the sick. He's made them well. He's encountered the hungry. He's fed them to their full. But now for the first time, Jesus encounters the enemy that is death. And not just death, but all the baggage that comes with it. The shock and the stress, the emotion, the, the anger, the pain, the, the sorrow. All of it hits Jesus head on. So here's what I want us to do with this passage. This is what I thought we'd do. Let's talk about what we're not good at talking about for a few minutes. 
And to do that, I wanna look at how three different people in this passage experience death, and I want us to look at how each one of their reactions teaches us something different about how we might face it together. And here's how I want us to frame our, our next 20 minutes or so. First, we're gonna look at Martha's reaction, and then we're gonna look at Mary's response, and then I want you to see how Jesus handled both of their situations and then faced death Himself. So let's just start at the beginning. Look at me with a look back with me at verse one of this passage. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha. From the very beginning of this chapter, we find three people all about to taste death Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Lazarus is going to experience it for the, the first time firsthand, and his sisters are going to watch in agony. This is not an unfamiliar scene, right? You don't have to be in hospice long to see this exact scene play out. Except the difference is Mary and Martha knew Jesus well. And so as their brother lied dying right in front of them, they send a note hoping for a miracle. In fact, look at this. Let's read this aloud together. Look at this in verse three. Read this with me. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. The first thing we need to know about this chapter, in fact, the most important thing we need to know about this chapter is that no matter what happens next, this story is all about Jesus' love. No matter what takes place in the verses to come, one thing you can bank on from this point forward is this is about Jesus and his love. In fact, look at this in verse five. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. John wants us to know from the very get-go this story is of Jesus and his love for these three. There's three Greek words in the scriptures that help us understand what love is. There's agape, storge, and philia. Two of those three words are used in the first two verses of this lesson. Jesus loved Lazarus and he loved Martha and Mary deeply. Now that's vitally important. Hang on to that because what comes next has plagued believers for centuries. And that is, if God is all loving, how is it that he allows bad things to happen to good people? In this case, how is it that God allowed my loved one to die? You ever had that question? Maybe somebody's asked it of you. Maybe you've asked it of the, the church and the scriptures. Look at this in verse six. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Did you catch the hiccup? How is it that Jesus loved this man? And yet as he lay dying, he stayed where he was for two more days. If Jesus loved Mary and Jesus loved Martha and most importantly, Jesus loved Lazarus, how is it that he hears of his friend's pending death and for 48 hours, he does nothing about it? The timing seems off, doesn't it? Here's the clincher. Jesus later says, oh, not only are we not going, I'm... I'm glad I wasn't there. And his disciples are all kinds of confused, right? First they hear, we're gonna go back to Judea, pack your bags, and that's troubling. That's the place where Jesus had just faced his own death threats. But then they learn that Lazarus is no longer just asleep and suffering. He's dead. Look at this in verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Jesus wasn't talking about sleep. He was talking about death. Still today, we use euphemisms all the time to soften the blow, right? Well, we, we just lost so-and-so, or they passed away, or they're no longer with us. 
At that time, it was common to talk about sleep as death. In fact, this happens dozens of times in the New Testament. But Jesus says, no, we gotta be clear here. He's not sleeping, he's dead. And Thomas, one of the 12, is so distraught, he tells Christ, you know what, let's go there too so I can die with him. And by the time Jesus arrives, it's now four days later. Four days later and Lazarus is already in the grave. In first century Palestine, many believed that for three days, after you stop breathing, your soul would hang around your body hoping to enter back in. We, of course, know this isn't biblical. This is falsehood upon falsehood. But at the time, that was the presumption by all sorts of people, which meant, which meant only after four days did people actually believe you were truly dead. Remember, there's no heart monitors. There's no brain scanners. They just used the four-day rule. Day four, you were gone. There's no longer a conversation about CPR and saving the sick. This is not about resuscitation. This is now about death or resurrection. How is it that Jesus waits so long? See, Martha and Mary, they sat for days with no answer. Just think about what that must have felt like. Hour by hour by hour, wondering if Jesus was gonna come. Martha finally hears that Jesus has arrived, but it's too late. So she runs out to meet him and she cries to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you're gonna make this right. She said, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Right there, Jesus could have reached out his hand and by the sovereign power that he had as almighty God, he could have brought Lazarus back in that moment, but he didn't. Instead, he only makes Martha a promise. He says, your brother will rise again. Now Martha assumes Jesus' timing is all wrong. Look at this in verse 24. She said, I know he'll rise again on the last day. I believe that. How does that help me right now? What if the resurrection isn't just an event that we look forward to? What if it's a person who's standing before us? Look at how Jesus responds. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In other words, in this life, you're going to taste death time and time again, but in me, even though you die, you will live. Do you believe me? And despite all of what's taken place, despite all the sorrow and the hardship and the pain, Martha realizes just who it is that's standing before her, and her faith comes alive. She says, yes, Lord, I believe. Meanwhile, Mary's still back in the house, right? She's not coming out, and you can guess why. She's so devastated, she's so heartbreaking, she doesn't want to talk about it. You know, grief is an odd thing. You and I, we can go through the exact same traumatic event and experience a completely different manifestation of grief, one from another. When I was a chaplain at the, the ripe age of 23, they, they put a pager on me. And they said, every time this thing beeps, you're gonna go in with the doctor, you're gonna tell the next of kin that their loved ones died. That's your job for the summer. And all summer long, family after family, me and the doctors, we did this together. I never once saw my prediction of grief play out like I thought it would. Every time it would be different. Someone would hear the news and they would sit there shocked, stoic. Another would hear the news and a tear would roll down from their face, but they were quiet about it. Some others, they, they received the news and they immediately threw themselves to the floor, swinging at the air. 
And I share that because it's at this point in the story where we begin to make judgment calls on which woman was more faithful in the tragedy. Was it Martha who came out to see Jesus or was it Mary who stayed in the house hunkered down? If there's one thing ministry's taught me, it's, it's that no one grieves the same. So Martha goes back to her sister. Look at this in verse 28. When Martha had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. The teacher is here and he's calling for you. Now remember, this is a story about what? It's a story about Jesus' love. And the last thing Jesus is going to do is allow Mary to weep by herself without him there. But listen to how differently Mary's grief plays out. Mary and her friends, they leave the house and now she brings Jesus the exact same complaint as her sister. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Except unlike Martha, Mary has nothing left to say. Unlike Martha, there's, there's no other request. There is no other dialogue. She's so distraught, she's sobbing at his feet, broken. It doesn't mean that she doesn't believe, right? This is the same Mary we're told by John's gospel who at the same feet of Jesus anointed him with oil. And as she sits sattered in priests, then comes the shortest verse in all of the English Bible. Jesus wept. There's no conversation. There's no words. There's no explanation. Only tears. You know, one thing I think we have to realize is death about, as we're believers of Christ is that death was never supposed to be a part of God's order, right? In fact, death reminds us front on that the creation that God made is in disorder. Death is that which doesn't make sense to us because it's not supposed to. It's not a part of God's original design. And so we naturally ask, why did this happen? Or how could this be? Or why me? Or why them? Or why now? But here's another lesson next time you're grieving with a loved one. Be careful with your words. See, I think far too many times we're too quick to explain what only God can understand. We say things like, well, he just needed another rose in his garden. Or God was just calling his angel home. I promise you those words will fall short every time. I love how Romans puts us in 12 or 15. He says it, I think Paul says it best. He says, just rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In fact, I've shared this with you before, but I'll share it again. In Jewish tradition, most loved ones were buried not in the temple, but outside in tombs, much like this one. And after the burial, for seven days and seven nights, those who were closest to the family would come and practice something called sitting Shiva. In fact, the Jews were doing it with Mary in our passage this morning. God's word tells us uh, that her friends had sat with her weeping. If you open up to the story of Job, you find this exact scenario play out. Job had lost his family, he lost his livelihood, he lost his health all at once. And his family, his, they show up, his friends show up to sit with him in this practice called Shiva, seven days and seven nights. And all is going well. If you continue reading the book of Job, though, you find things start to go awry when they begin speaking. I find it no mistake that Jesus' response to both women matched where their hearts were. To one, it was time for teaching and it was time for a defense of the gospel. To the other, as this woman lay broken at his feet, weeping. You know why? Why did Jesus weep? What's the theme of the story? Look at this in verse 36. So the Jews said, see, see how he loved him? 
This is a story about Jesus' love. And yet we wonder right after this, well, then how is it that a loving God allows death? Look at this in verse 37, right after. Some of them said, could he have not opened the, who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this one from dying? The controversy in this lesson is all about God's timing. Over and over again, if you look throughout the scriptures, when God doesn't move in, in our time, we find a frustrated and a despondent people. Abraham waited 100 years for the birth of his son. Sarah laughed in the face of God. Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, complaining all the way. The psalmist prays time and time again, how long, O Lord? And Mary and Martha come to him and say, if you'd have moved in our time and not yours, our son would still be, our brother would still be here. I feel like when it, it comes to death, for some reason, we're always judging God's timing. You ever notice that? Based on our own parameters, we say things like, they lived a good life, or he died too young, or her time was cut short, or, well, they still had life to live. And from our vantage point, right, those words certainly are true, but what if our reference point was wrong? You know, this life is but a speck on the, the timeline of eternity, right? As, as one scholar put it, heaven's clock is always different than our own. What if we've been judging God's love by his timing when instead we should understand God's timing by his love? Let me say that again. Think about that with me. What if we've been judging God's love by his timing when instead we should understand God's timing by his love? See, Martha and Mary, they can't understand why Jesus would wait. Why would the one who loved us sit there for days as our brother died? And yet that delay would soon bring the most pivotal miracle in all the scriptures. You know, we think of Easter as the time when Jesus first encountered and faced death, right? But that's not true. Look at this in verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. And after they, they rolled away the stone, he confronts death for the first time. Jesus lifts up his eyes and he prays and he says, after he says this prayer, our scripture tells us he cried out with a loud cry, Lazarus, come out. Anybody remember last week's lesson? My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And as I look over the last year in the life of our church, I'm sure there's some of us that question God's timing. I don't know why God would allow the death of a child. I wish I had that answer. I don't know why a man in the prime of his life out on the Madison River would die so tragically. I don't have that one either. I don't know why cancer takes some and not others. I don't know why one lives to be 105 years old, the other one doesn't make it much past their first birthday. I know this though, Jesus weeps. Not because he couldn't have stopped it or because he's helpless, but because he knows death was not God's intention to begin with. He weeps because he loves us enough to know that death should not have ever happened to us. And here's what else I know. I know that Jesus hates death so much that in God's perfect time, he faced it head on. Not with a friend in the tomb. No, God sent his one and only son to die for us. Such that in that moment, death was defeated forever. And maybe like Martha, you're thinking, I know that, Ryan. I know my loved one will rise again on the last day, but how does that help me right now? Let me remind you what Jesus said to Martha. The resurrection isn't an event. 
It's a person. The person who is with us right now, right? He made this promise to us that if we believe in him, death has no sting. Death has nothing on us. And just as he's with us, even right now, he's with our loved ones. Think about this claim one more time. Close your eyes with me. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. But here's the question. Do you believe it? Do you believe that the same Jesus who called Lazarus from the grave has overcome death for us? Let me just close with this, 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. It says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all would reach repentance. If God is a loving God, how is it that he allows good people to die? I'll quote the late R.C. Sproul. He said, that only happened once, and he volunteered. And from that moment forward, we can face death head on. We can talk about it openly. Because in life or in death, those who are in Christ belong to him. Pray with me. God, as sure as the snow falls, as sure as the rain hits our rooftops, as sure as the sun rises every morning, God, you have made us a certain promise that for those in Christ, we shall never die. Lord, that even as our bodies experience death, we are alive in you. So God, I just pray right now for anyone in this room who doesn't know you, that we would come to know you. Lord, that we would, we would face that question head on. Do you believe this, that I'm the resurrection and the life? And that like Martha, we would answer yes. And God, I pray for those of us in the room who may feel like Mary, Lord, maybe we've recently went through the death of a loved one or we're facing it right now with someone dying in our midst. God, I pray, would you weep with those who weep? Lord, and I thank you for meeting us where we're at. God, we pray more than anything as we leave this place today that you would make us a, a people who believe in your resurrection, a people who, uh, who show the, the hope of what it is to have the gospel. Lord, and that the next time that we face grief, death, suffering, dying, that we would not lose sight that you conquered it. Lord, we thank you for your love for us and for the story of your love. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.